Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. A rich, smooth, and truly delicious chocolate experience. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. What a day yesterday. I just thought it'd be great if we can uh, bask in it for a moment. Let's remember some of the standout bits of Joe Biden's inauguration. Looking out on the great mall where Dr. King spoke of his dream. Here we stand, we're 108 years ago at another inaugural. Thousands of protesters tried to block brave women marching for the right to vote. And today, we mark the swearing in of the first woman in American history elected to national office, Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't tell me things can't change. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. This land is your name. This land is my land From California To the New York Islands And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it Somehow we do it Somehow we've weathered and witnessed A nation that isn't broken but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. This is America's day. This is democracy's day. A day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. The people the will of the people has been heard, and the will of the people has been heeded. We've learned again 
that democracy is precious, democracy is fragile. And at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. From It was good. I had a good day yesterday. Lockdown is so monotonous that we decided to make Biden's inauguration a day of celebration in our house. We had an inauguration playlist with lots of uplifting songs. The girls made a red, white and blue pavlova. We had champagne and homemade lemonade. Uh, Definitely some of the standout moments for me was the relief of watching Trump fly away for the final time off to Florida in Air Force One. Oh my God, that was brilliant. Kamala's swearing in made me a bit teary. I loved Lady Gaga's amazing outfit, her gold microphone and wonderful singing. But I think it's fair to say that Amanda Gorman, that poet, a young woman of colour, the poet laureate who you heard there earlier, she really stole the show. She's only 22. She lit up the whole stage with her bright yellow coat and a red headband and her eloquence and her confidence. The lovely backstory, of course, is that like Joe Biden, she has the challenge of a speech impediment, which she has to work on all the time. So standing up in front of the world and doing what she did is a massive achievement. She's a book out called The Hill We Climb. And I saw her tweeting yesterday that she's number one and two on the Amazon book chart. So it was a good day for Biden and Harris yesterday and for Amanda Gorman and for all of us who were glad to see Donald Trump finally gone from the White House. Makes you think that better days are coming. Now, before I tell you who's on our episode today, quick reminder about Winter Nights. It's our Irish Times Festival, which starts on Monday. It's going to be going all next week with incredible guests such as Blind Boy, Edith Eager, Nicola Sturgeon, Emma Dabry, Mairead McGuinness, Gabriel Byrne and Dara O'Brien. Tickets are still available from irishtimes.com forward slash Winter Nights. And really, you don't want to miss that. Now to today's episode. Lockdown is bringing up many challenges for all of us, very different ones across the board. But it seems as though we're all looking for help with mental health, with happiness, with ways to keep calm and get through this time. So a new book by psychotherapist Sarah Crosby has come at a very good juncture. It's called Five Minute Therapy and it's kind of a pocket therapist for those of us who can't afford actual therapy Sarah joined me from her home in Dublin, which she shares with her fiancé, Claire, to talk about things like boundaries, self-care and how to maintain our friendships at this very strange time. I began by asking Sarah about the many different paths she went down and the life experiences she had before finding psychotherapy. I grew up in in Blackrock in in County Louth. Um, so not too far away from Dublin where I am now, but, uh, far enough away that it felt at the time quite rural. And, uh, uh Dublin was a, quite an intimidating, uh, 
idea at the time, more of a concept than an actual place. Uh, so the fact that I've, I've ended up here is uh, quite surprising to, to that younger self. Um, I, yeah, so I grew up in, in Blackrock. I went to school there. Um, I went to secondary school and then I, I went to UCD. Originally, actually, I, I did a year in the DQIT. I was studying, uh, video and film production and realized that it wasn't for me. Uh, I went, uh, to UCD the, the year after, studied archaeology and geography there. And I think I made, the mistake, I think I made the mistake that a lot of us make of, of mistaking a, a passion and an interest for something that I have to do or turn into a career. Uh, so I studied archaeology and geography. And after I finished that, I realized that this isn't somewhere I want to go career wise. Uh, while it is uh, incredibly interesting and fascinating to me, it isn't something that I want to pursue further uh, than it being something that I read up on. And while I was studying there, I was also uh, uh, honing an interest, I'd say, or uh, a skill in in personal training. So I I was uh, I did a, a course to become a qualified fitness instructor and, and personal trainer. And from there, yeah, if you can maybe follow this, I I started working over in Portugal, um, in a in a health retreat over there. And I was working uh, as a personal trainer. It was more work experience than anything else. But it really was this this bubble uh, that people would come over to do uh, a juice fast of all things um, for a week. And I would I would help them with their training. Uh, but I found once I was over there that people really didn't want to work out for for that long a time. They wanted to work out for about five minutes and then the rest of the hour they were speaking to me about everything that was happening to them back at home. And we'd go on hikes for an hour to a day. And it was during these hikes, as I was walking with these people from from all over the world, uh, that I I realized how fulfilling it is to listen um, and to witness uh, another person's experience, another person's story. But I also didn't feel equipped uh, to to listen, to hold space for that. And I wanted to. I I think it, it really um touched something uh, in me that this was, uh, what would I say? I guess it was, it was leading me somewhere. This is, this is what I, I wanted to do. There was, there was something uh, more fulfilling in this than uh, being in the gym for me. Uh, and from there, I, I came back to Ireland. I, I had a, a think about what it is I wanted to do. And, and ultimately it was during that time, during that period of time that I ended up in therapy. I was struggling with, with that question, you know, who am I? Uh, what is it I want to do? I, I didn't know what direction my life was going in. And from there, uh, I, I was with a therapist for three years and, uh, after that experience, after the, the, well, ultimately the healing experience that I had in therapy, I realized that, yes, this is something that I, that I want to do. Um, and I decided to, to dive back into academia and, uh, do another four years. And so I did my HDIP and then I did my master's and, and now I'm, uh, 
a practicing clinician. I mean, it takes an awful lot of work to um to become a psychotherapist and all the kind of you mentioned your own therapy there. That's a lot to do with people don't necessarily realize that part of your actual studies is you really getting very deep with therapy yourself in order to help other people with, with their thing. But you then um, just we should mention as well, though, that kind of part of your journey with health and fitness was as a result of your experience with Crohn's disease. So that's something that you had to deal with, too. Tell us about that. Mm, I was diagnosed with with Crohn's disease when I was 10. Uh, so quite young. I, I had, according to my sister, from a very young age, by four or five, I'd always been complaining of, of stomach pain. And I finally got diagnosed when I was 10 uh, in Crumlin Hospital. And part of me feels that I was fortunate to be diagnosed at that age, because right now I can't remember what it is to have a life without it. Um, you know, I often hear of, of people being diagnosed further down the line and, and it being a real struggle to uh, adjust to the lifestyle. For me, I I grew up with it uh, to an extent. But it has impacted my life. I, I have a, a certain level of dependency on, on the hospital, which I've come to terms with now. And, uh, I, you know, I reap the benefits of that. But when I was during my teens in particular, uh, I struggled with that. Uh, I found it very upsetting. Uh, you see a lot of people going from secondary school into college and then they go on the J1. I, I fortunately uh, was able to go on a J1 at the time, but uh, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world and being tied to the hospital, uh, needing to go in every eight weeks to you know, be hooked up to an IV uh, was was very difficult for me to to accept. So I again, I think that is one of the factors, like you said, that that led me into therapy at the time, struggling with um, what could have been, I think. I think that's something that leads us, uh, leads many of us into therapy, grieving the, the potential, what what could have been possible and uh, yeah, coming to terms with the reality of that. In terms of how your book, Five Minute Therapy, came about, um, like a lot of things these days, a lot of projects start on social media and you had um, a, you, you were giving out sort of bite sized therapy help on Instagram. And that's what led to the book. But tell us about the Instagram um, story first. Yeah, so I I would have uh, and continue to, you know, I struggle with anxiety. Uh, I'm. I have more of a hold on it now than I used to. But going through the MA in particular, I really wanted to face that in more of a, an exposure therapy way. And Instagram provided the, you know, the perfect platform for me to do that. So I began creating images and uh, putting my voice to them in the caption, because I think that's something that I, I would have struggled with, believing that my voice had had merit. Um, and believing that my opinions had worth and and having a place where I could condense some of my thoughts and, and put them out there was a great way for me to, well, to show myself that, you know, your voice matters. So I began doing that. And as well as that, I guess the, there's a few reasons why I began the, the Instagram page. I was I was sitting with, through my training, a lot of information that was so beneficial and that had I known this information earlier, I would have felt 
less alone. I would have felt more equipped or at least understand better what was going on for me. So I wanted to convey that information in a way that that wasn't patronising, but distilling it uh, in a way that was easy to digest and that might benefit others. Um, Because many of us can't afford therapy and uh, certainly many of us can't afford psychotherapy training. So uh, I I wanted to condense the information and put it out there. And and from there, I didn't uh, expect the reaction that it's gotten. I uh, it's been a big surprise. So it it, it sort of exploded from there and it it has become uh, what it has. And we should also mention as well that as well as Crohn's disease, um, you, yeah, you have been through quite a lot because you had an eating disorder at one stage, which is what led to you sort of seeking therapy as well. And you didn't ha- necessarily get treated in the most um, compassionate way always when you tried to seek help for that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess my one of my first experiences of reaching out for help in regards to uh, my relationship with food uh, it wasn't the most compassionate, to to put it nicely. I uh, I went to a GP. It, I was dismissed in a way, uh, but they they did write to the HSE um, so that I might get an appointment to uh, have an evaluation. And in a way, I was I was looking forward to that because I knew I needed the additional support. And then when the day finally rolled around, about a year later, I was met with. Um, a swift exit really you know there's nothing wrong with you um you just need to sleep more uh you just have a high iq so uh did they say you weren't skinny enough to have an eating disorder is that something that happened and not exactly those words i went to the gp and he said well you're not uh, dangerously in the low range and that's such a misunderstanding of what eating disorders are they can they can manifest in all sorts of physical ways can't they Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I knew at the time that I, I really, that what I was struggling with was an eating disorder. And yet, I'm not sure how far that understanding um, has trickled down uh, systemically um, of what an eating disorder actually is. You know, an eating disorder doesn't have a look, it doesn't have a, a face, but yet we're still battling with that image of, of what anorexia is, what bulimia is. Uh, and so on. So you overcame a lot. I mean, working through all the issues, whether it was physical, mental, emotional that you had to deal with. And and then when you started at the Mind Geek, it was this way. That's the Instagram page that you started. And um, it was this way of, like you say, distilling that stuff and allowing people who maybe didn't have access to all the supports and all the resources that you had had to access some of that information, which is kind of it's a a very generous kind of uh, thing to do, because obviously you were doing your own work as well. And this was a sideline, but it led to something great because um, it led to Penguin approaching you to write this book. What did you think when you first heard from them? (laughs) I I first heard from uh, a book agent and I thought, this is my well I guess my my default response is to be cynical so I was I was looking for the um you know the 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 joker I was looking for um where someone was going to be taken advantage of of my uh, naivety so I uh, I wasn't thoroughly believing that this was this was actually happening and then uh, Sarah who is she's just pure magic that's the um, the book agent she uh, told me it was last 
it would have been Christmas 2019 uh, that Penguin had approached and they said that they would like me to write a book. They put an offer in and that was it. She said, no, I can't tell you to take the deal, but take the deal. So I um, I signed with Penguin and then in a few months time, the, the book materialized. So uh, incredible. How did you find it? I mean, you're not you're not a you're not someone who's written before, or are you? Was it a new venture? But how did you approach it, and and was it an ordeal, or did you find it quite? Uh, it came quite naturally. I think the moment I, I received the email from Penguin, and I saw the little the little penguin at the bottom of the email, that this was something that I I wanted to uh, pursue. I'm you know a, a voracious reader. I always have been, and the idea of having my own book. Um, I've worked around books quite a lot in my um, early years as well. Uh, is something that I always uh, dreamed of, but never, uh, I think it's something a lot of people dream of, but it's certainly nothing that I thought would, would ever come to fruition. Um, so when I, I got the email in and I got the deal, it was it was wonderful. I was able to exist in that bubble for a week or so until the reality of it sunk in and uh you know you get your first advance and you have no words you <laughs> there's a, a blank page sitting in front of you and you know that you have uh you know 240 250 pages to write so um I broke it down I I had an idea I knew what I I wanted to explore I've had the idea for a while and it was ultimately what led me to therapy this idea of of who am I? And it was always a question that I had throughout training as well, always coming back to the self and what does it mean to be myself? And it was such a frustrating question and it continues to be because it is so complex and it's hard to distill and, and get our heads around. So I knew that I, I wanted to look at that, but in a way that well was interesting and and um, you know didn't bore people half to death. I uh, you know, in in training, we'd sit down and and try to meander the mind of Lacan, and I, I still find that um, you know, I'd rather have my my teeth pulled. So, I had this idea. I I broke it down into the different chapters that I wanted to explore the concept of self with. You know, in terms of of boundaries and attachment, and uh, you know, self soothing and healing, and I it. It uh, arrived over time, I guess. Well, it's called Five Minute Therapy, Mental Notes for Everyday Happiness, Confidence and Calm, which is something I think at the moment, particularly a lot of us could do with more of happiness, confidence and calm, because it can be hard to be calm with the relentless bad news that we've been dealing with for almost a year now. Um, you say that it's like a pocket therapist and you're trying to guide the reader sort of gently through a journey of self-discovery. And your, I suppose your motivation is that mental health information which there is a lot of it seems like we're talking about it more than ever in some ways but it can be uh, kind of overwhelming as well so you wanted to make something that people can dip in and out of and sort of get to know themselves better and it can be quite accessible so tell us who it's for or who might benefit from it and then maybe go into some of the the aspects of self-discovery that you you look at in the book yeah well I, I guess my aim was to provide mental health information in a clear easy to digest way without a patronizing or oversimplifying the message at the core of the information. I also wanted it to appeal to those who consider themselves non-readers. So particularly with the year 
that's in it, many of us are finding it, you know, a struggle to concentrate for extended periods of time. So I wanted to create something long form, ideally away from the vortex of social media that we could dip in and out of and learn something new about ourselves along the way. Uh, a, a good friend of mine, and he's also a therapist, he said to me, you know, insight takes uh, just a moment. And that's what I like to believe the book can offer up, you know, insight, whether it's ways we can manage our anxiety, how to start saying no, um, or those bigger questions of, of how can I be myself. So let's talk about a couple of the chapters and let's, let's start with one about self-discovery. You've talked about it a little bit in your own journey to kind of find out who you really were beyond maybe the things that I suppose uh, our parents, our family, society puts on us and tells us what we should be or what to expect. What is it in that chapter that you want, that you hope will kind of, people will be able to reflect on or deepen their understanding about who they really are? I believe the part that I wanted people to take away from that chapter was, well, that question, how do I, how do I just be myself? And I think it's something that there's been a lot of focus on recently, you know, this idea of the authentic self, the higher self. Uh, and there's no one way. I think that's the message I wanted to convey. There's no one way to just be yourself. It's something that I think we often hear when we're going into a meeting or an interview or we're going on a date, you know, just be yourself. You'll be fine. And I think it can irk many of us. It certainly irks me or it, it is. And many of us struggle with uh, a sense of self, you know, particularly if, you know, in childhood, individuality or self-expression weren't encouraged, if we've experienced abandonment, if we've been subjected to bullying um, or if we don't fit the mould of, of what society wants of us. And even if we have, you know, an established sense of self, we can uh, lose that over time, you know, through relationships, through grief and trauma. So then becoming who we are is an ongoing process. And I think that's the beauty of therapy. It's a, a safe place to explore safely. And I think something practical uh, around that, that we can take a moment and ask ourselves is, you know, who did I uh, think I needed to be growing up? You know, who did I need to be in order to be accepted? You know, whether it was by family, by friends, in my relationships, who do I believe I need to be in my relationships now? So it's worth taking some time to become aware of, of, of what those answers might be. You are listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously, organic. Chocolate to savour. Let's talk about boundaries as well. I mean, it's good because in the intro you kind of... You appeal to people not to be put off by some of the jargon. And we're used to now, we're hearing all these words, boundaries, mindfulness, you know, all this jargon, I suppose, mental health jargon. And it can be a bit off-putting. At the same time, you sort of talk about how you had a bit of resistance to those phrases, but then realised the messages behind them were so useful that, you you know, it was a pity to be put off just because there was words. So just for anyone listening and hearing boundaries and feeling a bit queasy, <laughs> we'll maybe ask yeah. them to get past that. Um, and what about setting boundaries? I mean, do you, I suppose what I'd like to know as well is your observe, observations in lockdown, um, what it is that people are struggling with that might particularly help them in this book. I mean, you know, you you're, there's a chapter on being how to be a good friend, which is it's a struggle for a lot of us now, keeping our friendships intact and things. But but anyway, sorry, I'm talking about a couple of aspects to it. Maybe tell me yourself what you think people can get at this time from the book. Yeah, well, I think 
we're hearing the word boundaries much more than usual lately. And I, I think for good reason, you know, a boundary is, you know, as stomach turning as that word uh, might now be to us, you know, it is communicating with ourselves and others where our limits lie, which is so important, uh, particularly at this moment in time. So this is what I'm willing to do. And this is what I'm not willing to do. And when they're implemented in a healthy way, you know, they allow us to take responsibility for what is ours uh, while ensuring that we're not carrying or undertaking the emotional labor of others. So no, uh, right now, saying the word no, that can be a difficult word to say because of, well, the misconceptions around boundaries. So we might think that boundaries, you know, push people away. They're selfish. They're telling someone else what to do. And that they uh, they have no place to exist within the family unit, and I think one of the main issues that's coming up right now with setting boundaries around you know family, friends, partners, whatever the relationship, is dealing with boundary guilt. So feeling that we can say no because it'll upset someone, they'll be off with us, uh, they'll they'll take it the wrong way. So it's important to remind ourselves firstly that well boundaries are about keeping us safe and improving the health of our relationships, which is uh, key right now. You know, so that not uh, so that well both parties, both people in the relationship are are benefiting from the connection. Um, one person isn't getting everything that they want, and we're sitting here then with this growing mountain of uh, resentment. Uh, I think it's also important to remember that our needs, you know, and even beyond that, our wants in a relationship deserve as much space as as another person. And if it doesn't feel uh, that way, it's worth taking some time to evaluate where does the power lie in that dynamic? You know, um, are we stepping across our own boundaries? Uh, are we failing to voice our boundary? And remembering that when we're communicating a boundary to someone, when we're saying, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. Uh, we're choosing temporary discomfort, which is always going to be there when we're changing a behavior. There's no way of, uh, of avoiding that. But we're choosing temporary discomfort over that growing resentment and the chipping away of, of the health of a relationship. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do think the boundary thing is really important at this time, especially in houses where you're dealing with the homeschooling situation sometimes, mm. your own work, your own needs for space and mental sort of uh, time away from a, in, in the current situation. I was listening to a Brené Brown podcast recently, actually, and she has this really good uh, thing about the family gap plan. I don't know if you know about it, but it's where you check in with the other people in your house and you're asking everyone where they're at in terms of what they have to give that day. Like, so say if you're really, really busy and you're not going to have much space, so you're only at maybe 60 percent, you, you've got like a, a gap. And then it's like if someone else is at more 90 percent that they can come in and take the slack. And it's this communication. It's a lovely communication around. I just did it with my kids the other day just to see where they were at in terms of their schoolwork yeah. and how they felt they were able to manage today in terms of how they felt within themselves emotionally physically and we could kind of all tune into each other and then not expect too much of of each other in that way mm. so mm -hmm. um but I just think that communication bit is really important especially now just being honest well, about where you yeah. are kind of with the people around you. Absolutely. And I think it's a beautiful way of also uh, signaling that it's OK to not be OK today and we can respect where you're at, you know, without the usual uh, respite of of the working day of of life. You know, we're finding that there will be certain days where we're feeling a lot lower, where we don't have, you know, the emotional bandwidth to to give that day. 
there'll be other days where we're feeling more on form. So that that work life balance is, I guess it's even more tenuous now, you know, now that all of our separate worlds are are overlapping. Um, so our, our work life is now frequently interrupted, as you said, you know, by, by household responsibilities, by parenthood and by the, the maintenance of, of these relationships. And another thing I'd love to talk to you about is the friend thing that I just mentioned, because, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're separated from each other, especially now in level five, where, you know, I think a lot of people are feeling like they don't even want to meet for a socially distanced coffee, that it's dangerous, you know, so it's, it's, it's more extreme now. And also things are happening to other people that in normal circumstances, you'd want to be there for your friends. You know, you know what? We have friends whose parents are dying or are ill or, you know, family members in our whole households are dealing with having COVID and isolating and all that kind of stuff. Tricky things that are hard enough, but then you won't have the comfort of kind of having close people around you. Have you any sort of thoughts on that or is there anything in your book that might help people kind of keep those friendships and relationships going, but also maybe finding new ways to help and to be a friend in this very yeah. strange world we live in now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that there's I, I speak about it in the book, but having those uncomfortable conversations um, rather than dividing us can actually uh, connect us. You know, we, we reach over the gap or the gulf of of what is forming. And, you know, particularly now uh, when I say on the uncomfortable conversation, usually that conversation is about mental health. So sometimes our, our relationships, our conversations will be quite surface level and that's where they need to be. Uh, sometimes we we want to um, escape into our relationships and you know let's talk about uh, what we were watching last night because uh, it's that's the level I need to be at right now but if we do notice that people are struggling um, it's worth having those uncomfortable conversations and when gearing up to have a conversation with someone you care about especially if it is a sensitive one it is normal to be nervous you know about saying the wrong thing or, or putting your foot in it and, and even if we do it's okay to to do that to make mistakes and then say sorry and, and correct ourselves you know there's no right or or wrong way to go about checking in with someone who's who's having a hard time with their mental health and and their well-being but it's important that we choose a way that feels as comfortable to us as, as is possible you know and I, I i think it's not about reinventing the wheel here you know it's check in how are you doing and really uh, so if they're open to talking about things with you then, then that's great but also we may not be the right person uh, for them to talk to at this time or maybe they're not ready so the important thing is to not take it personally you know, we can still express our love, our concern. Uh, we can still help them, you know, seek support if they're open to hearing it. And, and you're working as a psychotherapist as well as having written your book and being on Instagram. What are you finding people are struggling with, obviously, without betraying any personal confidences of any clients? But what's your overall mm. feeling about the variety, the kind of panoply of feelings that people are having at, at, at this time? I think anxiety is uh you know, a significant factor in people's mental health right now, you know, dealing with uncertainty uh, and minding our own minds, you know, as we're supporting those in our households, as we're um, supporting those around us. So it, it's worth taking some time to ask ourselves, you know, is helping from a place of of um, resentment or uh you know, the a feeling empty, truly helpful. 
and many of us will need you know additional support right now in order to keep our own mental health well so reaching out to you know a therapist or a trusted support system um are among the strongest things that we can do right now to bolster uh, our our own mental health and how are you getting on tell us about your story and how you found the whole strange year i mean you've written a book which is amazing um but what are you what have you learned about yourself what are you finding difficult I think you right live now, with your partner, um, is that right? Are you, were you supposed to get married because you're, you have a fiance? I do, I do. Yeah, my fiance is Claire. We got engaged, uh, in August. Uh, so no, we're, we're not getting married just yet. I think it'll be another, another year or two. Um, we might wait until the, uh, there's more than six people are allowed. So, um, it's, I've found distraction, uh, a great tool for me this year. So at the in the first lockdown, I had the distraction of the book. The second lockdown, uh, the distraction of the new puppy, uh, <laughs> and right now the distraction of of you know uh, publicity for for the book. So uh, I think it's what I've learned is to not judge how I'm coping. You know, there will be days where I'm feeling quite low. There will be days where I'm missing family members. And there'll be other days where I just want to escape into uh, the pile of fiction that's uh, sat up on my uh, my dresser. Uh, so really going with the flow of, of the day, taking it day by day, um, as cliche as, as that might be. But you know, they, it's cliche for a reason. Yeah. And Sarah, tell me this, because it's something we're looking at on the podcast a lot about how the brunt of things are in, in heterosexual relationships are falling to women a lot. So a lot of women are finding they're having to do all the housework, the schooling. Is being in a same sex relationship, is that different? I'm always fascinated whether those things are much more equal because there's no one person that's supposed to take out, you know, we have this idea the man takes out the bins and the woman does this, which is so ridiculous. But uh, are, do you find there's a bit more equality and sharing of things that, and it, it ends up being who's good at things rather than who's expected to do things. <laughs> I think uh, I can only speak for my for my own experience. I guess I, I grew up in a household where uh, the the division of labour was incredibly equal. So my dad would, uh, you know. Uh, what would I say? He would make the lunches, he would do the hoovering, uh, uh, those types of tasks that unfortunately we, we consider uh, the role or traditionally we consider the role of the woman. Um, and I think right now there really is that opportunity to discuss the division of labour within households. Uh, for me personally, it has become what is it that uh, we don't mind so much doing. We're not particularly big fans of, um, but I don't mind it as much as you mind it. So I'll do this and then you can do that thing that I don't like doing. So uh, it, it's split uh, more compassionately, I think, it, that's that's my own experience of it so far. I, I think it must it, it must be you know I I feel I feel there's a lot to be we can learn uh, from same sex relationships <laughs> in this in this regard. Um, the book is called Five Minute Therapy. It really mm. is something. I mean, I'm just flicking through it and reading certain parts, and certain things will resonate more with with certain people than others. But um, it's a very accessible, easy way to kind of delve into stuff. I mean. More people, I think, are reaching out for therapy, but some people just can't afford it, like you mentioned earlier. So I think a book like this um, is a real, as although it's not a fix, and we must say that it's not a fix for people should go to the doctor, should uh, seek help for their mental health. But it is something that um, just buying the book can kind of give you a little window into some things that you might be struggling with, be it anxiety, be it attachment, be it anything that's that's there. So I suppose maybe just tell us... Um, 
why people should buy it or what you think they can get out of it. Your little elevator pitch before you go. <laughs> I see this is what I, I probably should have prepared for today. I'm uh, I'm green. I'm green and all. No, nah, you're doing very pitch. well. <laughs> um, why should people buy it? It's a good question. I, I guess uh, for me, it, it comes back to creating a conscious relationship with ourselves. And right now, a lot of us are having to sit with our life as it is, you know, who we are and how we are. And it's very difficult to escape that. And I think the conversation around mental health, it doesn't need to be an overwhelming one. Uh, if anything, we need to uh, start to uh, dismantle the stigma that is around. And I think we've gone uh, very far away in, in doing that. Uh, but I think creating those five minutes each day, um, every now and again, to create a more conscious relationship with ourselves, to learn more about ourselves, ultimately creates more safety and uh, strengthens the relationships around us. Um, so learning more about who we are isn't a, isn't a bad thing. It doesn't have to be an overwhelming thing. Yeah, and I think very clever to call it five minute therapy because everyone feels they don't have enough time now. Or I mean, even though the, in some ways we've lo- more time, you know, some of us have stopped having commutes and various things, but things do feel a bit hectic while they're very stuck as well and contained. So a five minute therapy sounds just about doable, I think. Five minutes a day we, we can spend. My, uh, yeah, but listen, my listen. editor will uh, love you for saying that. I'll have to pass that on. <laughs> well, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you, Sarah. I wish you all the best. It's great that you're kind of in this new world of books uh, from something that you were doing, I suppose, out of a very good altruistic um, journey you were on on social media and then for it to becoming something like this is, is, a, is a lovely thing to have happened to you this year. Um, and I think people are going to get a lot out of the book. So thank you very much for coming on the wow. Women's Podcast. Well, thanks very much. I'm a huge fan of, of the podcast. So it is an honour to be here. And thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm delighted. Thanks so much. That's it for now. Thanks very much to Sarah Crosby. And I have to say her book is really very useful and well laid out. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan and by Jennifer Ryan. JJ Vernon, as always, is with us on sound. And thanks to him. If you want to get in touch, email us thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com or find us on social at IT Women's Podcast. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com